0: Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare, a medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine. He is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right. Well, welcome to the Dr. Luis Sandoval show here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Welcome to the clinic, as always. It's a pleasure to be here with our listeners so that we can share our faith and talk about it and talk about different topics. Before we get started today, let's go ahead and pray the Angelus here at the top of the noon hour. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Saint Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke, and we humbly pray unto thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, folks. Well, today we have an interesting topic. You know, I've had a few patients speaking to me, and a few different uh, of our listeners writing into me, and there's been a few, um, a few emails where. This seems to be a common theme, a common topic, and our topic today is going to be on lust. And what does this mean as a cardinal sin? What does this mean for us um, as Catholics? And why is this so taboo? Are we so alone in this battle? Um, Obviously, it is a very common battle. It's it's true for all of us. We're human beings. God made us sexual creatures. And I don't know that we've always been uh, taught the best way to channel our sexual energies. It seems like Um, In today's world, it seems to go one extreme or the other, right? So... When we talk about it as Catholics, we actually don't talk about it as Catholics. We say, gosh, no, we don't talk about that at all. Oh my goodness, that's a sin. Let's not look at sex at all. Let's not look at um, um, the naked body's bad. Cover up, cover up, cover up. Sometimes it feels that way. And then we look at society and it goes the other extreme where it says, express yourself. Please go and have sex with anybody you want. Um, this is a free world. Why are you holding back? The body was made for pleasure, obviously, if that's what it, uh, if that's the way it reacts um, to, to intimacy. So then why not go and enjoy it and just feast on your body? So we get these extremes where I think that we have to have a happy medium. We have to understand that, yes, the body was made for pleasure, but it also needs to be respected. And yes, the body needs to be respected, but we also have to be open and have a real conversation that once we're in the married life, um, God made it so that a husband and wife can share in that pleasure so that we can share in creation with them. I think God delights in creating things and he wants us to understand uh, that it is delightful to share in creation with him when we use it in an appropriate way. But what happens when it gets out of control for some people? Um, what happens when people start to feel guilty because they say, Dr. Samuel, I don't know how to stop. I just keep watching pornography all the time. And, you know, at first it was very pleasurable and now it's annoying as all get out, but I just can't stop. I can't turn off the machine. I go to the computer and now with the internet, it's so much easier. Gosh, back in the day, I used to have to go to either an adult bookstore or somewhere where, you know, I would have to go in and the cover of night with a little bit of shame. And nowadays it just seems like it's coming to me and that's a challenging position to be in or, you know, husbands and wives who say, "Ah, gosh, I just want to use birth control because I want to be able to, uh, have relations anytime I want. And I don't care. I don't want the consequence of getting pregnant. I just want to be able to, um, you know, feel free and I feel so restrained, um, and we can fall into these traps. And the reality is uh, a lot of patients say, it's just this energy I have. I'm, I, I don't even want to engage in that. Can't stop masturbating because all of a sudden it's uh, it's this energy I have. And I, need to, re- I need, to re- need to release this energy. I don't know what to do about it. And so the sin of lust takes, can easily take over the mind and it can easily frustrate people a lot. And then they can get to the point where they say, I don't know what to do. I feel like I have to go to confession every week. There's really no hope for me why even stop? Why even try? It's just overwhelming. Um, it can feel that way. Uh, but the reality is you're not alone in this battle. Uh, when you look at the Lies of Saints, it's not something that is unique. And it's actually kind of uh, boring if you look at it that way. Gosh, so many people are affected by it. So many people have had it uh, or had to, you know, struggle with the sin of lust. And after a while, if we start to look at it from a certain perspective, you realize, gosh, it's not really uncommon it's kind of boring in the sense that, yeah, everybody struggles with it. I think the hard part is that nobody talks about it. It's made so taboo, our sexuality has been made so taboo that it can be very easy to feel like I'm alone in this battle and it's very shameful and I better not talk about it because I'm the only one going through this. And so I wanted to look uh, a little bit at which saints actually struggle with this? What did they say about it? And how did they approach um, the topic? How did they approach prayer? How did they approach being Catholic while they still felt the struggle? Because a lot of people feel that just the temptation alone is a sin. A lot of people will feel like, gosh, if I had a bad thought, if I had a dirty thought, I've already sinned. And that's not necessarily the case. Our thoughts are not necessarily sin. The question is, do we engage in that thought or do we challenge it? That's really where the sin comes in. Do I accept that thought as uh, something that I feel is good and that I think is okay, or do I decide, you know what, even though this thought might bring me pleasure, it's not necessarily the best way to go and I'm going to challenge it and I'm going to try to focus on the things of God because I do not want to deviate whether I'm in the single life, whether I'm in the married life. I don't want to deviate from the way God has ordered things. It's hard to get to that point because in society, it's very permissive and people will tell you, you know, you're going to look out there and people will tell you it's okay Even if you just go to a movie nowadays, you can't get away watching a movie without some kind of a sultry scene or some kind of suggestion or some kind of innuendo. Um, It's just kind of part of the society we're in. And the question is, how do I overcome that? Well, I don't know that I have all the answers, but if we look at the lives of saints, they might have a better approach than we do. So I found this great article. I was looking online and I just found this article. It's a nice summary of four saints and the title of the article is saints who struggled with lust and the four saints we're going to look at. Hopefully we'll be able to get to all four of them, uh, is St. Augustine. I think we all know the story of St. Augustine and he, he was not uh, shy about sharing, uh, his temptations into lust. St. Mary of Egypt is another saint, St. Catherine of Siena, and St. Aloysius of Gonzaga. So St. Aloysius Aloysius Gonzaga, actually. Um, They all struggled with this. So let's take a look at their lives, what happened to them, and and how they overcame it. So the article, let's start with St. Augustine. The article tells us that young Augustine gives an example of unrestrained passion. He said, I went to Carthage, and where I found myself in the midst of of a hissing cauldron of lust, a hissing cauldron of lust, just a ripe cauldron, ready uh you know boiling with lust, it says he discovered plenty of fuel for his fire in Carthage, Unfortunately, after plunging into recklessly, he soon found himself a slave to lust, and I think that that's where a lot of people get frustrated. you know it seems like it's very pleasurable, it seems like it's very great, um and it seems like it's something that's so good, but then even St. Augustine tells us. One of the challenges is that we can become a slave. All of a sudden, we are no longer in control. It controls us. And that can be frustrating for people. The article goes on to say, This had the effect of clouding his mind and bringing him down the cliff. The mints the mint of passion steamed up out of the putty concupiscence of the flesh and the hot imagination of puberty so clouded over and obscured my heart that I was unable to distinguish the pure light of true love from the murk of lust." both boiled confusedly within me and dragged my unstable youth down over the cliffs of unchaste desires and plunged me into a gulf of in, <clears throat> of infamy. Well, this is an important uh, quote to read again from St. Augustine. Let's look at that one more time, because I think a lot of people feel this way. It says, the myths of passion steamed up out of the putty concupiscence of the flesh and the hot imagination. Of puberty so clouded over and obscured my heart that I was unable to distinguish the pure light of true love from the murk of lust. That's, I think, really where the slavery comes in. All of a sudden, there's confusion. <clears throat> there's this great feeling, and he says, The hot imagination of puberty. Imagination is not always the truth. We can imagine many, many, many things, and our imagination is usually much more exciting. Than that which is true, which I think that's the trap of the lust part. We start to have these vivid imaginations of what sex will be like, what what the fulfillment of the pleasure will be like, what fantasy will be like. And then we get to the reality of it. We're plunged into it. And it turns out that our imagination was not the truth. Notice it clouded and obscured his heart that was unable to distinguish the pure light of true love from the murk of lust. Look at how St. Augustine describes this. True light of true, excuse me, the pure light of true love, very, very pure, very light truth. Those are all great words to associate with love. And then what does he say of lust? He says, it's hard to distinguish that from the murk of lust. So lust is going to appear just like we see in the book of Genesis, you know, the fruit looked good and it was pleasing to Eve's eyes. In the same way, lust is going to be confused as pure light and truth when in reality it is murk. And here St. Augustine makes that distinction um, between what is true and what is not. Uh, and look at what he attributes to it, but in the heat of the moment, it's going to be confused both. And he says both boiled confusedly within me and dragged me, dragged my unstable youth down over the cliffs of unchaste desires, plunged me into the Gulf of infamy. You know, this is interesting to say that because it says his brilliant mind became so fogged, um, that he couldn't distinguish things. That's what happens with less. And if we look at any of the, um, of the passages, any of the saints, any of our priests, any of our speakers who tell us the truth, they'll tell you once we sin, our mind is clouded over, right? Our, our intellect is dulled. We can't think straight anymore. And that's one of the challenges of lust. When we come back from the break, I wanna look at what happened to St. Augustine. We already know that he was in the throes of lust, but how did he come out of it? Because I think a lot of people will associate with, yeah, of course, being in the throes of lust is there, but now what do I do? How do I come out of this? I feel like a slave myself. How do I improve? Well, we're going to look at that when we come back from the break. How did St. Augustine do it? Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Lou Sandoval Show. Always a pleasure to join you here at the clinic on a Thursday afternoon. Today, we're talking about lust. How do we overcome it? Are we merely slaves to it and there's no way out? Well, let's learn from the saints. Let's see what's going on in the lives of saints who themselves struggled with a sin and how they overcame it. If we look at the lives of St. Augustine, uh, which we were talking about before the break, he tells us that when he was in the in the throes of his lust he realized afterwards there was nothing but confusion. He confused the true light of love with the murk of lust. And that's what happens, folks, when we start to sin, when we start to get into sin and we accept sin and actually it starts to overcome us and now we become slaves to sin, we can no longer think clearly, our intellect is dull, We're not going to be as smart as we once were. Um, And that's a hard pill to swallow, especially if somebody's an academic or enjoys uh, reading and research and whatnot. Um, It can be very hard um, because all of a sudden you can't think clearly. You don't know what's going on and you're probably not going to make the best decisions. And that's how people end up being very frustrated and not knowing what to do. Well, what does St. Augustine do? He was in the throes of lust. Does he change from one day to the next and say, yes, this is perfect. I can't, you know, I can't do this. I can't, it's not helping me think straight. I need to change and reform my life. Not exactly. Let's look at what the article says. What does he do at this point? He says, uh, excuse me, it says that he decided to fight his sex addiction, addiction that kept him chained like an animal by seeking an answer in various sects, which led him eventually to become a Manichaean. So all of a sudden, did he go right to the Church of Christ? No. He said, well, I better see what people are doing. What are the different sects doing? What are different groups doing? How do they live their lives? And how can I use their knowledge to overcome the sin? Um, And it says that the groups of the Manichaeans, they appeal to St. Augustine because they claim to have a solution for all problems without requiring strict self-denial Among the so-called healers, he believed that since the the evil body imprisoned a person's soul, the passions were impossible to control. In Saint Augustine's mind, this gave him a green light to live licentiously. He remained with the sect for nine years, but it ultimately left him frustrated. He could not harmonize their yearnings for flight with unresolved lust. Where was he to turn now? Isn't this what happens, folks? Isn't this what always happens? So what what are the Manichaeans exactly saying here? Why did he join them? What's this article telling us? Because they said that, you know what? This isn't going to work. The passions are too strong. Your desires are too strong. There's no way to restrain them. Don't try to hold them back. What you're going to do is you're going to uh, live a life. We're going to solve these problems without being very strict with ourselves. We're going to be nice to ourselves. You know, it's okay. We're going to take you where you're at and we're going to walk with you, and we're going to talk about your passions. We're going to come to a point where we recognize that, you know what? These passions are very strong, probably impossible to control. So it's okay to live like that as long as you recognize that. It's okay to live with these passions. It's okay to have this green light. Um, And St. Augustine said, hey, this sounds pretty good, right? So what you're telling me is that Yeah, absolutely. We can recognize that we have this. I can recognize I'm a slave to it. And somehow I have to harmonize my mind and my heart with that idea that it's okay to be a slave to this. It's okay because it's way too strong. I'm never going to overcome it. Why even try? Right? Well, St. Augustine was with them for nine years, nine years. How many, how many of us do this all the time and say, you know what? it's all right. Gosh, this is strong. God, God gave me this. God, God, you know, if God didn't want me to have this temptation, he'd take it away. If God didn't want me to do this, why is it there? God gave us this body. Well, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to go little by little. I'm going to give myself some comforts in this area. I'm going to be really good during the week and then maybe Friday night, I won't be so good, but that's okay though, because I was good during the week and you know, it's too strong a passion. It, it didn't happen, um, uh, for St. Augustine and he ultimately left frustrated. It says that that's just, that path is going to lead us to frustration. We're not going to feel good. He could not harmonize the yearning for flight, yearning for flight, meaning wanting to be with God, wanting to be good with unrestrained lust. So where was he to turn now? Well, it says, you know, the article goes on to say, he turns to the armor of light. And how did that work? Let's see what the article says. It says, make me chaste, O God, but not yet. So goes Augustine's lamentable prayer. Having the heart of an angel, but chained to the ground, he finally implored heaven's help. That's right, folks. Once we find ourselves, what would they say, at rock bottom, we can't go further down. What do we have left? We turn to heaven. At the height of the crisis, a dramatic change occurred. While sitting in a Melanie's garden, he heard a child's singing voice take and read take and read this is what the child said take and read take and read what did he do he opened the scriptures at random and read these words here's a gr- it's a great reading from scripture the night is far spent the day draws near so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light let us behave decently as in the daytime not in carousing and drunkenness not in licentiousness and lust not in quarreling and jealousy Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its lusts. And that comes from Romans chapter 13, verse 13 through 14. At these words... excuse me, it says at the words, as the words of Cicero struck him deep within. So the words, St. Paul finally set him free. So by reading Romans, by reading St. Paul, all of a sudden he heard these words. They spoke to his heart and this is where he felt free. That's a great passage. You know, anybody who feels frustrated or feels trapped, let's read that again and see and see what it says. Hopefully it'll bring some consolation or some inspiration. So again, this is Romans chapter 13, verses 13 through 14. The night is far spent, the day draws near. The day is over. It reminds us, you know, we're close to death at some point. The day is going to be over for each of us. There's going to be a sunset coming near. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in licentiousness and lust, not in quarreling and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its lusts. That's the, that's the answer right there. Clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ, right? And so that's what happened for St. Augustine. Is that possible? I would say if you're struggling, if you are uh, having a hard time, turn to the scriptures. That was a great passage of St. Augustine. Who knows what passage the Lord has for you as his saint? This is what we've got to remember. Sometimes it's easy to feel like, man, I'm steeped in sin. I can never be a saint. no. St. Saint, Saint Augustine was steeped in sin. We're all called to be saints. Eventually, I hope that I can meet each of our listeners and call you by your title and say, Saint, whatever your name is, uh, because that's what's going to happen in heaven. We're all going to refer each, to each other as saints. Um, and if it happened for St. Augustine, it can happen for any of us. We're not in a, in a different boat, really, than the saints. We just sometimes see it that way. But let's start by taking the book, taking the Bible, just reading it, opening it, finding what verse of scripture the Lord wants us to think about as we continue to struggle with lust. Remember, the temptation itself is not a sin. It's the lack of challenging the temptation or acceptance of the sin, as if we were to say, you know what? It's okay. God put this in front of me and and I can't overcome it. Nope. You remember, even for St. Augustine, that wasn't enough. So let's look at what happened with St. Augustine. This is what he says. Um, as, as far as what helped him, you know, there's, he says, there is no remedy so powerful against the heat of concupiscence as the remembrance of our savior's passion in all my difficulties. I never found anything so efficacious as the wounds of Christ in them. I sleep secure from them. I derive new life. So not only did he read scripture, but then he says that looking at the stations of the cross, looking at our Lord's passion, praying about our Lord's passion. That was really what's freeing for him, you know, and especially if, you know, we reserve the, the way of the cross for Fridays and Lent, but maybe we should pray the way of the cross every Friday. If we're praying the rosary, we do a meditation on the Lord's passion, starting from his agony in the garden. And then moving on to the scourging at the pillar, the crowning with thorns, and then we focus on all 14 stations in the fourth mystery of that rosary, and then we end the rosary with the crucifixion. I think just focusing on that alone will help us every time uh, if we are trying to struggle out of any sin, really, not just the sin of lust today. We're focusing on that. But when we look at our Lord's passion, it's incompatible with our pleasures of this world. Why? Because it reminds us that... This world is not where we're supposed to find our comforts. This world is not where we're supposed to find our love and our joy. It's through our Lord. Our Lord, you know, went through a passion so that we could all find our true love, true joy in heaven. And I think that that's where clarity of the mind comes in. Um, So it's important to remember that. So we have St. Augustine there, a great saying, always a classic when we think about uh, falling into the throes of lust and coming out of it more importantly. So let's look at the next scene. So the next thing that we have in this article is St. Mary of Egypt, and this is what the article says. Like Augustine, St. Mary is another passionate soul. While she is a popular saint in the Byzantine East, she's less known in the West. Her story is one of hope for those whose past seems beyond repair. At age 12, she ran away from home and eventually found her way to Alexandria. There, she took up prostitution to support herself. Relating her story to Abba Zosmos, one of the uh, Eastern priests, much later in life. She said, I'm ashamed to recall how there I at first, I at first ruined my maidenhood and then unrestrainedly and insatiably gave myself up to sensuality for 17 years. Forgive me. I live like that. I was like a fire of public debauch and it was not for the sake of gain. Here I speak the truth. Often when they wished me, when they wished to pay me, I refused the money. Pleasure became queen in her life. She made her living chiefly by begging and spinning flax. So why is that important to consider? because notice what she's saying, just like St. Augustine. So this is common. This is, this is the way it goes when it comes to the sin of lust. She became a slave to the sensuality to the point where she was a prostitute and she didn't even ask for the money. All she wanted was the pleasure. All she wanted was to feel good. Um, all she And she became a slave to it. There was, there was no question about it. Not only did she, was she refusing the money, she ended up uh, begging and spinning flax is what it said to, in order to make her money. Uh, this is, this is a hard pill to swallow for people, right? Because all of a sudden it makes it so that <clears throat> our, our very own, um, desires we become a slave to. We are no longer in control of ourselves. The sin is now in control. That can be very challenging. It can be very shameful. Notice that she said that when, uh, during her confession, right? What did she say? She said, I am ashamed to recall how there at the, f- I first ruined my maidenhood and then unrestrainedly and insatiably gave myself up to sensuality. So the key there is if you're feeling shame about this, you're in good company again. The saints felt the same way. Those who are declared to be saints were hopefully on our way to sainthood here in heaven, but it's not going to stop you from being a saint. As long as we recognize that we cannot accept it, that there is a struggle, um, with this. And if you're feeling ashamed, that's going to be one of the results of, of the, uh, of being in lust or falling to the sin of lust. There's going to be a shame associated with it. But remember, like St. Augustine said, we don't get to see the truth. The shame is going to be part of the lie. Why is that part of the lie? Because once we start to feel shame, we can't see that we're still sons and daughters of the light. We can't see that God still loves us. We start to feel that we are no good. And that's part of the trap. How do we know that? Because for St. Mary, she started to feel that she was no good because she relegated her. She didn't even deserve to be paid. She did. She relegated her to herself to begging there's no dignity in that, uh, uh, in her particular case, right? So when we look at that, we see that she was really trapped and really enslaved. What's the article go on to say about her conversion? It says, one day she noticed a herd of pilgrims journeying to the sea and inquired where they were going. uh, They told her they were headed for Jerusalem for the feast of the exaltation of the cross. She decided to go with them, not as a holy pilgrim, but simply to find more opportunities for sex. So already her intentions were not good uh, following these pilgrims, interesting. Let's see what happens to her in her life as this is part of her conversion. She's going and they were going for the exaltation of the cross at the same time, who's going to join him with not the best intentions how does this turn around what happens for saint Mary? more when we come back from the break all right folks so welcome back to the clinic here at the dr louis hannibal show As always, a pleasure to be with our listeners. I hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a good, holy, Catholic day. On today's show, we're talking about the sin of lust and how to overcome it. You know, it's easy to fall into certain traps, and it's easy to fall into uh, feeling that we are overwhelmed by our sins, but at the same time, there is hope, and this is where we really need to uh, attach our faith and realize I can overcome this. It's not going to overpower me. But how do I do that? Well, we're turning to the lives of saints and we're trying to see how those who have gone before us overcame their temptations. We already looked at the life of Saint Augustine a little bit at the beginning of the show. And right now we're focusing on Saint Mary of Egypt. Um <clears throat> great saint mostly known in the Eastern Church on our Eastern Catholic Churches. Um but we're studying her life because it is very interesting. We before the break we ended at her conversion story. And let's go on with her because at this point she is deciding to change her life. She's deciding to um, move in the direction of God, but she doesn't quite know. Let's read that again. It says, this is her conversion. One day she noticed a herd of pilgrims journeying to the sea and inquired where they were going. They told her they were headed for Jerusalem for the feast of the exaltation of the cross. She decided to go with them, not as a holy pilgrim, but simply to find more opportunities for sex. When the pilgrims arrived in Jerusalem and entered the church of the Holy Sepulchre, she tried to go with them through the doors. Three or four times she tried to walk through the entrance. However, some unseen force, like an invisible row of soldiers, prevented her entrance. She understood that her sins blocked her from gaining access. Isn't that powerful? Trying to walk into the church, understanding that her sins at that point are preventing her from entering a row of soldiers. It was what it felt like. No doubt in my mind, that's probably a row of angels that are guarding the door. And a lot of people say, well, sure, she was a bad sinner. You know, of course she's not going to go in. Of course the angels are going to block her. But in reality, when we look at this, it's really a blessing. You know, we can say, no, she doesn't deserve it. How many times do we go to church and we say, why is that person at church? Boy, I know what they're like. They shouldn't be here. You know, it's very easy to fall into that trap. Um, but the reality is her being blocked is actually a blessing. Why? Because it helped her open her eyes. It's that she understood her sins blocked her from gaining access. That's actually a huge blessing. At least she got that understanding. How many of us go into church and think that we're holy enough to do that without really contemplating what our sins are. That's an interesting uh, position to be in. So let's look at what the article goes on to say. She started weeping and beating her breasts, lamenting her sins. She looked up and saw an icon of the Virgin Mary and prayed. O lady, mother of God, I have heard that God who was born of thee became man on purpose to call sinners to repentance. Then help me, for I have no other help. She vowed to the Virgin Mary that she would renounce her sinful life and go where the Virgin instructed. After her prayer, she tried once again to enter the church and was successful. She venerated the relic of the Holy Cross and heard a voice saying, If you cross the Jordan, you will find glorious rest. Hmm. Interesting there. What did we see that did it for St. Augustine? He said that he overcame his passions by focusing on the passion of Christ. And here, St. Mary, she was going to Jerusalem on the feast of the veneration of the cross. Why do we venerate the cross? Because we focus on the suffering and the passion of Christ. Again, the passion of Christ uh, is at the forefront. And in this particular case for St. Mary, it was through the intercession of Our Lady, What a quicker way to get to Christ than to find the intercession of the Virgin Mary. She let our Virgin, she asked our lady to guide her, right? She asked our lady to guide her life. And our lady was the one who no doubt, you know, put a little bug in Christ's ear and said, Hey, I've got this saint for you a saint in the making, she is understanding where her life is and she has a heart where she is repenting. Shall we let her in? The angels moved aside. She was able to get in. She was no longer blocked from the church. And Our Lady then gave her a mission. And she said, go, if you cross the Jordan, you will find glorious rest. So what happened to her? She led a life in the desert. It says, after this experience, she journeyed to the monastery of St. John the Baptist near the Jordan River. She went to confession and afterwards received Holy Communion. The following day, she took three loaves of bread and crossed the Jordan River to live in the desert. She lived in the wilderness for 47 years, subsisting on herbs and plants. For 17 years, she experienced a fearsome battle with lustful thoughts. A fire was kindled in my miserable heart, she told Abbas Osmos, which seemed to burn me up completely and to awake in me a thirst for embraces. As soon as this craving came to me, I flung myself on the earth and watered it with my tears." When these desires engulfed her, she used the same remedy every time. She turned to the Virgin Mary, whom she called her protectress. She said, the mother of God helps me in everything and leads me as it were by the hand. Well, that's powerful right there. This is something important to note because I think a lot of times, like I said before, you know, a lot of times we feel that, gosh, just having that temptation or having that thought is the sin itself, and we start to feel ashamed for even having that thought. The thoughts are there, the reality's there. It's kind of like no different than there's billboards, there's posters, there's images, there's pictures in in the world that we see that might lead us to lustful thinking, Um, but the billboards themselves are not sinful. It'd be like saying, well, our bodies are sinful. God did not make our bodies sinful. It's the intention, the thought that we add to it, the intention that we do things with, the reasoning that we do things with. Is it a sinful desire? Is it out of out of weakness that we make our actions? <clears throat> Why do I say that? Because in this case, she had already repented. She had converted her life. She had gone to confession. She's received communion. She was going to leave an uh, excuse me lead an ascetic life in the desert. And what happens to her? It says for 17 years, she continued to experience a fearsome battle with lustful thoughts. What's the difference here from before to now? She's still having the lustful thoughts. Anybody who's struggling with this, just be ready. Don't think that the thoughts are going to go away. The question is, is it going to be a battle or is it going to be accepted? That's really the big difference. I can sit here and accept sin, no problem. I can say, gosh, just like St. Augustine used to, right? With the Manichaeans, he said, you know, this is just the temptation of of my flesh. This is how it goes. I've grown to accept it, and there's nothing I can do with it. And then he realized he was wrong, and he needed to battle it. Same thing here with St. Mary you know, 17 years, she continued to experience battles with lustful thoughts. So if this is something you're struggling with out there, keep in mind, it's not about, oh, all these thoughts are going to go away and I'm going to be just fine and dandy. I'm no longer going to have temptations in this area of my life. No, the question is, am I going to be able to have the strength to battle it. The article goes on to say what to learn from St. Mary of Egypt. St. Mary of Egypt's example is an encouragement to those who may feel damaged. Her life is proof that God can fully restore what appears to be wrecked. Her penitential way of life not only healed her past, but God showered innumerable gifts upon her, such as prophecy. With the help of the Virgin Mary, she gained mastery over her passionate thoughts and was clothed with heavenly virtues. Again, She gained mastery over her passionate thoughts. It doesn't say the passionate thoughts went away. It means it says that she was able to control them instead of them controlling her. And that is the key. It's a great saint. Let's look at the next thing. St. Catherine of Siena. Unlike St. Mary of Egypt, St. Catherine pursued a pious way of life from her earliest days. She was born into a large well-to-do family in Siena, Italy. Her parents saw a good match for her for their favorite child, but St. Catherine decided otherwise. She made a personal vow to give her life to God and become a lay Dominican. She lived in her parents' home as a hermit until the age of 21, when she experienced a mystical marriage with Christ. Afterwards, she started to live a more outgoing life by serving the impoverished and ill. She vexed her family by giving large amounts of food to poor persons. Her work gained followers, and when political events in Italy worsened, she intervened by her prayers and persuasive personality. She was a particularly instrumental in bringing the Pope back from Avignon. So what goes on with St. Catherine? It says, fierce temptations. One day, Catherine conceived a great yearning for the virtue of fortitude. She had a spiritual encounter with Christ who explained that she would gain this virtue through certain trials that would soon visit her. The trials were temptations to lust, that beset her night and day. Vivid images filled her mind as devils pestered her continually. She responded by incessant prayer and penitence, such as fasting, vigils, and scourging her body. The apparent absence of Christ compounded her struggles. This is important to note. Look at these temptations. This is St. Catherine of Siena. It's not saying that she's sinning. It's saying that she's having the temptations. Remember, there's a great example of what I'm talking about. The temptation's there, but it doesn't mean that she sinned. The temptation is just there. The question is, what do we do about it? And it says that the, the lust that it beset her, the temptations beset her day and night. It means that we're always there. Vivid images filled her mind. Devils pester her continually. But how does she respond? That's really the question. When we have these temptations, these thoughts that we are struggling with, the main question is, what do we do about it? How do we respond? What do we say? She responded by incessant prayer. She just kept praying. She just kept praying. A lot of people might feel that prayer is incompatible with uh, bad thoughts or temptations, and it's quite the opposite. This is where the battleground is. This is where our fight is. If all of a sudden we're having this temptation, what do we do about it? We fight back. We start by praying and doing penances such as fasting, vigils. And it says that she was scourging her body. I don't know what the details are on that based on this article. I remember reading her life and she would do a lot of penances. Sometimes some saints would um, tie really strong belts around their stomachs or they would wear camel skin uh, shirts or things of that nature. I don't always encourage people to do that. Talk to the spiritual director and see what they tell you, but uh, bodily harm, uh, not always the way that we uh, express our penances, but I would talk to your spiritual director. I know some people who do exp- who do uh, uh, do that for penance. But fasting is a great way of penance. Our Lord always said fasting and prayer was a great way of penance. Um, and it says the apparent absence of Christ compounded her struggles. How many times do we feel that way? How many times do we feel like we are alone in this struggle? There is no other way about it. Now as we're trying to fight this. It's just us and this temptation, and, and where is God? God is not around. But that's not the case because it says the apparent absence of Christ, not that Christ is ever absent. Let's look at the victory. So, this is a part how does she overcome it? right? The article goes on to say, after several days of struggle, a ray of the Holy Spirit entered her soul as she returned from church. Her thoughts reminded her of what she originally hoped to receive, namely the virtue of fortitude. She marveled that her endurance of strong temptations was the very means by which she acquired the fortitude. She subsequently fought more earnestly to repel the demons that afflicted her. When a devil came to tempt her once more, she said she was willing to endure all pains. In view of her boldness, the devil fled her fled and her temptations against chastity ceased. In her view of, excuse me, in view of her victory, Jesus visited her to bestow rich blessings on her soul. So in her particular case, the thoughts did go away. The temptations stopped. Other saints, they don't. The question is, do we battle it? Do we continue with the battle? When we come back from the break, we're going to see what kind of conversation St. Catherine had with Jesus with regard to what was going on while she was fighting these temptations and while she felt alone. Hopefully this will be down with our listeners. It's going to be very interesting. Stick around. When we come back from the break, we're going to see what did Jesus and St. Catherine talk about. All right, folks, welcome back to the Virgin Most Powerful Radio, and welcome to the clinic here at the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show for all of our listeners, anybody who's tuning in. Today, we are talking about how do we overcome lust and how can we turn to the saints as examples of how they overcame these struggles or what happened in their lives. I know a lot of times, a lot of my patients come to me and they say, gosh, I'm feeling overwhelmed. And we do treat you, you know, if you're feeling anxious about it, I can treat your anxiety. There's always medication for that if needed, or sometimes it's just therapy is enough. Or people start to feel depressed because they feel so overwhelmed by the sin or by what feels like sinful temptations. Uh, It's very easy to feel like, gosh, I've had these temptations. So I'm sinning just by even having the temptations, which is not the case. The temptations could be there. The question is, what do we do about it and how do we overcome it? Well, we're looking at the lives of saints today and seeing what did they do? How did they overcome these temptations and how can we apply this to our lives? Well, let's look at what St. Catherine uh, did. We're talking about St. Catherine of Siena here. She went through many temptations because she wanted, she was asking Christ for the virtue of fortitude. And he told her she was going to have to struggle and go through temptations and fight them in order to gain this. And all of a sudden she did, but she felt very alone. She felt like she was alone in her fight, like Christ was not there. And so after she overcame the temptation, she found victory. She was given the gift of fortitude and many graces were showered upon her. But she did have a conversation with our Lord. He appeared to her and she said, said, the article says, she complained to him, Lord, Where were you when my heart was so tormented? I like those words because listen to what she says. She explains that her heart was tormented. How many people feel that way? How many people feel that way when they are overcome with addictions to pornography, when they can't get away from having their brains um, attached to the sin. Um, is, isn't that a torment? Isn't that how people feel? And the torment is not just in the mind, it's in the heart, because that's obviously not where our hearts want to be. Our hearts are always going to be wanting to be with God. Well, what does Jesus say to her? It says, Jesus responded, I was in the center of your heart. Catherine wondered how it could be as impure thoughts engulfed her mind. Jesus asked if the thoughts gave her pleasure or pain. She told him that the thoughts caused her pain and sadness. Jesus then explained to her that it was because he was in her heart that these thoughts were painful and not pleasurable. He told her that he defended her throughout the ordeal. Notice that's the best example I can give. If anybody who's struggling with this and you're worried and you're feeling ashamed because you feel like, boy, I am sinning because these thoughts are there. This is the key question. This is the, the, the main, uh, crux of it all where Jesus asked her, do these thoughts cause you pain or pleasure? The thoughts are themselves are not simple. The temptation is not simple. What do we do about it? Do we indulge in it? Do we like it? Or do we want it to go away? Do we want it to leave our hearts? That's really the uh, the question of the day. Um, the thoughts are going to be there. If I want them to leave my heart, if I'm in pain because of them, that's a good sign. That tells me that you are struggling with it. If it's something that we look forward to, if it's something that we welcome, that's something we need to ask ourselves. Are we really looking for Christ or are we allowing ourselves to indulge in the sin. As Jesus told her, he was defending her through the ordeal. Christ will no longer do the same for us so long as we are fighting the good fight. So here it says, the article says, it is noteworthy that temptations enriched St. Catherine immensely. Her victory in the time of battle gained her gained for her purity, fortitude, and God's copious blessings, such that by only reciting the Lord's prayer, she went into ecstasy. By her example, St. Catherine offers three helpful lessons for the tempted. Remember God's presence, live austerely, such as by fasting from excessive food, And finally, blessings will come after the storm. So be patient. That's another thing that's important. A lot of people say, gosh, Dr. Sample, how do I fight this? What do I do? And, you know, if I'm having this temptation, I feel like I need to do something. A lot of times it's not even a matter of doing anything. It's a matter of just being patient. Of just understanding, yeah, it's there and I'm not going to act on it. I don't have to run and say a million Hail Marys because I'm probably not going to focus on him. I'm probably not going to be very worthy prayers. But sometimes just standing there, just sitting quietly in our hearts, recognizing that it is a temptation, recognizing in our minds that we don't want it, and patiently waiting for it to just go away. That is sometimes is enough of a struggle and enough of a, a pleasing to our Lord because we're fighting it quietly. Notice that when our Lord was taken uh, to be crucified, he was patient he patiently went through the passion. We don't see him struggling. We don't see him fighting. We don't see him screaming at the top of the lungs of who he is. He went through the struggle. He went through the passion. And I'm sure that he had many temptations to get out of it. Who wouldn't? But he quietly went to the cross. A lot of times that's what we have to do. If we're having these temptations, that might just be our cross. That might be our cross for the moment. And if we sit quietly, if we just endure it. It will pass. And that will be our victory. Let's look at one more saint here at the end of the show, St. Aloysius Gonzaga. So interesting, his first name is Luis, actually. Aloysius means Luis in German, um, and uh, which is my name, which I, I take to heart. Uh, one of my patron saints, if you will. But let's see what the article says. St. Aloysius was the eldest son <clears throat> um of Marquisette of Castignoli, and her apparent to, and he was the heir apparent to great riches and power. At age seven, he felt sick with, um, with an illness and his thoughts ran deep like a river as he understood the vanity of worldly success. So remember he was very rich. He was starting to get vain and he understood worldly success. Thus, after regaining his health, he aspired to devote his life to God. At age nine, he made a vow of virginity. What can such an innocent soul teach those who are more flammable, it says. So he understood the vanity of worldly success. He did not want that. At age nine, he made the vow of virginity, and he realized he wanted to devote his life to God. What what does that teach us? Well, it says, in fact, St. Eloysius confessed that he had strong sexual desires as he matured. He may not have had modern-day seductions like the internet, yet he lived in a palace lurking with temptations knowing his weakness he followed the example of the saints in subduing his passions there are essentially 3 ways that he gained self-mastery so it's interesting let's see what these 3 gains 3 ways were that he gained self-mastery so what can we do we're having these temptations so <clears throat> And we feel overwhelmed. Is there anything we can do? Is there anything that we can do simply? I mean, this this was a young man, nine years old. And as he's going through puberty, he's having temptations. As adults, people struggle with this. What can we do? What can we learn from this young man here? Uh, the first one, it says, custody of the eyes. Living amid, living amid many allurements caused St. Aloysius to take a radical step. He practiced the ancient discipline of custody of the eyes. He kept his eyes lowered in the company of females. And controlled his curiosity. While this may appear overly prudent, his intention was pure. He took Jesus' word to heart. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, custody of the eyes is well practiced. It's a a practice that is well known to priests. It's something that people talk about all the time, monks, priests, anybody who is in um, the holy orders, anybody who's in the religious life, nuns as well, custody of the eyes means don't allow your eyes to even be penetrated by anything that might make them uh, deviate from focusing on the light of Christ. And that's what happens. This is what I say. And uh, a lot of times we try to challenge this and we try to say, you know what? I'm mature enough to see certain things. Gosh, if there's a, if there's an image of, of nudity or uh, something immodest in a movie or a portrait or a poster or a magazine, It's okay. You know, I'm mature. I I can see that and it's not going to affect me. Well, it doesn't weigh that work that way entirely. It's kind of like saying, you know, there's a fire there and I think I'm strong enough. I can kind of put my hand in it, maybe near it and I won't be burned. I can do it a little bit because I'm mature enough. It's just the natural effect of, we're going to look at this from a spiritual perspective. it's the natural effect of the sin. It's not so much that I'm mature, not mature. Sure. I can take that approach, but after a while, if I keep feasting my eyes on things, or if I keep being exposed to something, I start to make it every day it starts to become boring, it starts to become banal, as they say in French. It starts to become just a uh, commonplace, and I start to just accept it for what it is. It's kind of like when people in power want to feed you a lie and they just keep talking about it over and over and over after a while, you start to accept it right so if I keep looking at certain things that might not be modest, or if I keep um exposing my eyes to other people. One, there's a temptation that's gonna be there, but after a while we start to become immune to it. We start to become develop a callous towards it. And we start to feel like, you know what, it's not so bad. It's okay. I can look at it and not be affected by it. Well, little do we know how much we really are being affected by it. We can't see ourselves in that way. And so custody of the eyes, I think, is a very important um virtue to take on, a very important practice I should say to take on. So anybody who's struggling with a sin of lust, keeping the eyes low, trying to keep them away from uh, bad images, trying to keep them away from anything that we know is going to lead us to sin. That would be one first approach. The next approach is prayer. A lot of people say, well, Dr. Sample, I just can't stop. I don't know how to stop myself. Just like with all the other saints, the next approach is prayer in communication with God and trusting that God is going to uh, hear our prayer and take this sin away from us or help us in our battle against it. Let's look at what the article says. It says, one spark on a dry grass can cause a wildfire. Saint Aloysius understood that the necessity to keep his soul moistened with divine grace. When the soul is, is beweeded with grace, uh, sparks have little chance. By prayer, he obtained grace from God. He daily prayed to the office of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the seven penitential psalms. He rose at midnight and prayed on a stone floor, regardless of the weather. He took Saint Paul's advice to heart and filled his heart. His head with divine meditations whatever is good whatever is pure whatever is lovely think about these things and that comes from philippians chapter 4 verse 8 so prayer always important you know a lot of people think that prayer is just a lot of words i got to say these words you know we're looking for deliverance prayers what prayers do i need to say and sometimes we think of it as a magic spell sometimes we think if i say this then this will happen it's a cause and effect if i say this prayer then i will get what i need the reality is Prayer is just communication with God. St. Teresa of Avila told us prayer is just being in friendship with God. So if I stop and I pray, which means I start befriending God more, I turn my words to reach God's ear and open my heart to listen to God's words, it's just a communication. It's just a relationship. If I start to pray a little bit more, I deepen my relationship with God, these temptations don't become so important. In fact, they become like little things that are just nuisances that I don't even pay attention to because my relationship and my friendship with God is that much more important to me. So prayer is always going to be important. And then austerity of life. St. Aloysius took up a life of self-discipline from the age of 13. Rather than dine sumptuously with his family, he fasted three days a week on bread and water. Furthermore, he scourged himself with a dog leash until the blood flowed. Though harsh sounding, his discipline mollified his hot-blooded nature, so that he could be in command. In our modern-day context, keeping fit is perhaps a better substitute for the whip. And I agree with this article. I was just going to say the same thing. You know, a lot of people, <clears throat> a lot of times, people feel like flagellation or, or hitting ourselves or doing something harsh with our bodies is what's going to be important. But austerity of life, the fasting is important. Fasting bread and water is a great way to fast if we can. Skipping a meal here or there, it's not going to kill us. Any of us. Um, that's really good. But What I would say, instead of doing uh, uh, physical harm to ourselves by flagellation, keeping a regular exercise uh, routine, you know, making sure that we work the body. We got to keep the body healthy as well in order to keep the mind healthy. Healthy mind, healthy body, you're going to have a healthy soul. I hope this was helpful to anybody out there who's struggling with uh, the sin of lust or temptations. And it doesn't just have to be lust, temptations of any kind. We turn to God in prayer. We turn to God with fasting and penance. God will reward us. Remember, sometimes it just takes being patient. The temptations might not go away. It does not mean that you are sinning. It just means that we have to engage in that battle. And ultimately, if we place our trust in God, no matter how much time passes, if we are consistent, God will see that and reward us. Anybody who's out there struggling, I pray for you, and I will fast for you as well. Until next week, this is Dr. Louis Henderberg. Wishing you happy Catholics.